Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the Grounded Pixie Dice Set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! So, uh, Jesse... Yes. What is it that we're doing? <laughs> uh, so, we uh, have been talking about trying out a live stream kind of thing, uh, maybe in general for some future episodes. Uh, so we, we wanted to do a test of that, and a Q&A kind of session seemed like the best way to do that right now. Yeah, because that way we don't have to worry about making sure our guest is okay with their face being associated with our faces. That's true. Uh, and I mean, in future, if we have guests who want to come on, uh, but maybe don't want to have their face shown, we can like come up with an icon for them or something. I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, but we have some questions. Sean, do you want to pick which question we, we talk about first? Sure. Um, also, if you're in the chat, you can uh, drop a question in there, or I don't know if you're paying attention to the... If you got the Twitter open, Jesse. I have... I'm paying attention to twitter <laughs> there's just already very many things happening at once so uh yeah um, if you ask questions on twitter i will try to get to them but i may not immediately notice them yeah um let's see so so far we've got questions from the encounter this podcast from damien joe stillwell and anna brownberger and i think i'm going to go with hmm I think the what is your favorite monster and why from the encounter this podcast and for that I need to pull down one of my many many books that I've got uh, handy as a reference right here because the monster is from the kobold well I got to that really quick the kobold press uh, tome of beasts uh, for fifth edition and if I can get the image without tons of glare on it cool um, and the monster is the void dragon. Uh, and the reason that I like this monster partially is the art. And let's see if I can show that. Hey, look at that. Oh, Maybe right. That crazy one. dragon thing. And there, there's a bunch of reasons that I like this monster, but I think the first one is what happens when it dies, because when it dies, it expands explodes and it explodes with lots of damage and the explosion covers like a hundred kilometers <laughs> and to me oh wait hold on xanthia saying we have a starting soon what is what is she's just responding to dm or damien in the chat oh uh, yeah we did have a starting soon i had it up and then i think you were all looking at ads when i turned that off so yeah anyways back to the uh the void dragon so it's this 
huge dragon that explodes in this huge explosion when it dies. And when I saw it, I immediately thought of how I could use it in my campaign world that I've been putting together. And as a quick rundown, the campaign, the homebrew world that I created has this idea that magic comes from specific sources in the world and there's earth, air, fire, water, life and death as like the six fonts. And I was thinking basically they all, they've all been like locked down and magic is disappearing from the world. But what I was thinking was every campaign I run would be the party unlocking one of these fonts and bringing magic back into the world. And after all of that had happened, the void dragon would start to make its way back into the world because that's part of why the fonts were locked was to keep this thing out. And I just thought that it would be a really cool, big, bad, and yeah, it's just such an awesome idea. Like the picture of it, I don't know how well it came across, and I'll try and show it again. Is it's basically made of darkness and stars. I don't know if you can how well you can hear me, but I'm covering the microphone. But it's made of darkness and stars, and I just think that's really cool. So yes, that is my Uh, favorite monster. uh, My favorite monster right now. And it changes all the time. I'm I'm bad for picking favorites. I usually like it, it <laughs> rotates all the time. Um, but mine right now is the Skeletron. I think they're called from the Fairy Fire anthology. And so they're skeletons with these crystals growing out of them, uh, and they have elemental attunement. So basically, um, they start with a random one, and every time they get hit by a damage type, uh, if it's the same as theirs, they absorb it. Uh, if it's different, that becomes their new damage type, and so now they absorb that damage type. And I, I like them partially uh, because when you have an elemental caster, it introduces a unique challenge without it being like a super overwhelming challenge. They're 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 relatively small monsters. They're not like a big boss. They're like they're kind of mooks, I guess. Okay. Um, but I, I I like them because they're they're essentially a barrier monster but on a much smaller scale so like you know hit them with fire well now they're immune to fire or they absorb it and on top of that they do uh, on a much smaller scale the same thing that the void dragon does when they die they explode (laughs) in whatever type of damage type they've taken so it also benefits uh the people to try and let a caster who is or someone who is maybe um resistant to an elemental type like try and deal the the final blow right yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so I picked the first question. You get to pick the next one. All right, let me open up that doc real quick. Um, well, I will answer uh, my friend and current part-time DM Anna Bromberger's question. She uh, and past guest, uh, she asked us, "What was a character someone else around your table was playing that you really enjoyed playing with, and what was it about that that made them special?" I'm going to just cross that out somehow. I'm just going to delete it out of there because we've already asked it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I'm going to answer in terms of a player. Oh, hello, Tori. And oh, a bunch of people have showed up. Yep. (laughs) Hi, Milo and Kevin and Damien and Talia and Xanthia and Desso. So um, not to play favorites with my players because I, I don't believe in that. <laughs> um, but uh, one of my players in my usual ongoing campaign that is sadly currently on break um, has a very good habit of cons- constantly and consistently handing me things and being like, like 
not metaphorically handing me things, but being like, here, um, yeah, I'm okay. My character is okay if they die. They are taking that risk. So if things don't work out, you can kill my character. Or, um, hey, um, yeah, in my backstory, there's this thing. I've decided to kind of leave it intentionally blank so you can take it and do something with it. Um, and it's just kind of consistently a really nice thing to get from a, a player because it's like, oh yeah, I can, you know, I can put this player at risk if I really need to, or I can uh, do something interesting with their backstory without worrying about them uh, not liking it. Okay. As for me, favorite character or PC that I've had in one of my games, um, I think that's a tough one. I think it's a cross between uh, from my homebrew campaign that went for far too long uh, that I burnt out on like three times. Um, I think it's a tie between two of the players' characters. Uh, The first one is Magnus, uh, who the player named before... I think knowing that Adventure Zone was a thing. And so uh, they didn't know that Magnus was a character from that. And so it was really confusing. It was funny, though, because they ended up playing the character somewhat similarly. But Magnus was a half-orc barbarian who had been exiled from his tribe and was trying to redeem himself, basically. And um, the character got to see a lot of growth. And the character... Uh, got to have a really cool death because the player got tired of playing a barbarian. And I think it was the... I can't remember what subclass it is, but it's the one where they basically take half damage from everything except force damage. Oh, the totem bear yeah, soul bear or something totem. like that? Yeah. yeah, bear totem barbarian. And so like he was just getting tired of like being able to tank everything and never feeling like he was in danger. And I'll be honest, I was kind of getting tired of like combat being impossible to balance because of this <laughs> barbarian. Um, because anything that was a danger to him would TPK the rest of the party. Um, but the the death was really cool, and I think I got to explain it on your tabletop tales on yes. Revolver. Uh, so if you want to hear that, uh, you can become a patron and, uh, for just a dollar and go check that out. Um, Partially because I think the best time I've ever told it was on Revol- on that uh, Tabletop Tales. So the other one was um, a character called Ariel from the same campaign, who was uh, an Eric Okra uh, fighter, uh, Eldritch Knight fighter. And uh, I got to do some really cool stuff with her backstory. Uh, I got to, like, basically, she had, she wrote up this amazing, like, one-page backstory of, like, how when she was out flying one day, she met a, a gnome who started to teach her magic and became like a second father to her. And then when she went out to visit him one day, like his place was just burnt to the ground. And she went out adventuring into the world to try and find out what had happened to him. And I was able to use that mentor as a uh, as kind of a hook to like pull the characters from town to town with like these this trail of clues as to what happened to Gordon the gnome, uh, which was really fun. And I got to, I don't know that like I got to, I feel kind of bad of what I did with Gordon because I did end up killing him and they arrived like just a little bit too late to save him. Um, But it was, it was an interesting and uh, I don't know the right, right term for it, but it was a dramatic moment when like they get to this, they finally find Gordon and he's dying from this disease that's 
affecting the entire city because he's been trying to help and uh, didn't protect himself. Um, but yeah, so I think those are my two favorite player characters that I've seen so far. Uh, I want to actually give a quick honorable mention. Um, I am currently actually in a game that Anna is Anna Anna is running for me uh, and some friends. I have uh, my friend Chad, who who has been on the show before, is playing a character named Shirley, and uh, Shirley is like a Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Sorry about that, Anna. Uh, Shirley is like kind of a Sherlock Holmes Holmes kind of inspired character. Um, but my favorite thing that he's doing with with it is uh i'm playing a character who only has a name because people in the prime material plane have names um because <laughs> he's from the feywild and doesn't really care about them so he his character has realized that i often don't respond to my name and chad has written up a list of at this point he probably has 30 or so nicknames for me that he just <laughs> constantly refers to and it is delightful that's amazing um yeah so next question um i see what you did there damien with your first question and throwing our our usual ending question back at ourselves and so we're going to save that one for the end um (laughs) i think the the one that i'm i'm curious to talk about with you chessy is when can we expect the dmv actual play to be started um and if like (laughs) it's not something i had ever thought about really so uh probably never um we like for bonus material maybe for the patreon at some point i could see us doing like a mini one um but i'm not terribly interested in running one myself um partially because dming under scrutiny makes me incredibly nervous (laughs) um so but like i know you had talked about maybe doing a sort of series that wouldn't be part of DMs of Vancouver, but would be like your own kind of separate side thing. (laughs) What if we did a one shot where other people played us? (laughs) Um, Yeah. I've, I've given some thought to doing a, a one shot or a very short uh, campaign. I mean, like full disclosure, I've got an actual play that I recorded. I think at this point, like two years ago, with Haley back. and and some other folks, and I have not edited it. I have not touched it. And part of it for me is that I have very specific things that I look for from a, from an actual play podcast. And for me, I know that it would be a lot of work to get it done to the level that i would be okay releasing it like doing something like this like our our dmv podcast is different because it's a question and conversation style thing like it's okay if the audio on somebody's end is a little wonky because they're calling us from a phone in a bad reception area like that's fine but for an actual play i'd want the audio quality to be good i'd need to do more editing like the editing for this podcast i've gotten it down to a science like i can edit an hour episode in about 20 minutes um but for an actual play like i'd want to find music i'd want to find sound effects like i'd want it to be more produced and i just don't know if i have the time or the energy to do that anytime yeah, soon. i know our friends kayla and nate over at dmtk and also kevin who is in the chat who does crown's grave spend a lot of time editing it's a lot of work 
Um, and it's that's it's another big reason I'm shy about doing it because I, I would also want it to sound really nice um, and like perfect, and I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I think it's something that I would maybe give more thought to if I could record, like if I had a better recording setup for at home where I had more control over the audio setup, like if I had multiple microphones and a board and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just not sure I'd be able to get the quality I want from doing it remotely. So, yeah, but, I think also if it like, if this was our full-time job, that might be, we might have a different answer for that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I have thought about doing a, uh, some streams, like not recording it and having to edit it, but just doing it live and not editing it after the fact, doing something uh, like something that I've been thinking about doing and I'm slowly working up the energy to actually do it is putting together a one shot for the Cave Goblin network to you to have hosts from the network and some guests that we've had on previously to do a one shot of worldwide wrestling, which is a really fun uh, role playing game or to do uh like I'm looking up at some of the games that I've got above me here. Like I've got some games that are really well suited for, for, for one shots like monster of the week and the end of the world and stuff like that, where it would be really fun, but it's not something that I would want to do an ongoing campaign. So doing a, a one or two session streaming thing, I think is more likely than me doing an actual play podcast. All right. So my turn uh, from our friend, Joseph Stillwell, have you two ever thought about co-DMing a game together? Um, I think the answer is probably not. We haven't ever thought about it before now. Yeah. <laughs> to put I, it one way. I, you know, I think we would do okay. I think our styles kind of um, suit each other in a bit bit of a way. Like you have, uh, you I think enjoy world building a lot more than I do. <laughs> um, and whereas I, which means if you're doing that, I can, you know, build encounters come up with specific ideas like you know do some other other thing that is like still work so something that i'm i'm just trying to think like outside of the introductory game for the star wars edge of the empire the 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 introduction box set Mm -hmm. have i dm'd you in anything else no i don't think so and i don't i'm trying to remember if you've i've been a player in one of your games i've never dm'd for you no yeah, so like this is going entirely on just us talking about our DM styles. Like we haven't actually played together very much, which seems like a lack that we need to correct at some point. Yeah, I mean, so we we played we played as players together in I mean, we did it on Everyone is Jonas one time. Yeah. And we did it down at OrcaCon when we went a couple of years back. Yeah. But that's been about it. Um I don't know. I think we would be able to to make that work i think like also like co-dming if you just communicate with your co-dm is pretty easy (laughs) (laughs) um like you know the the big thing is always the communication thing which we talk about on the show all the time but like yeah it's you know it just means that you have half the work at the table and maybe you have someone who like is more like in a fight maybe describing what's going on while the other person is kind of operating the mechanics of the monsters you just figure out the roles and kind of go into that yeah one one thing that i would like to do 
I think if if I were to do a co-DMing thing, I think I would like to try something that would be much harder, if not impossible, to do with just a single DM, which is because uh, a while ago, I don't know if you were in the game, but I think it was like four or five years ago at this point, but uh, oh, Jason and Rake, yeah, co-DM'd a two-day one-shot. And something that I thought was really cool about that was the fact that it was me and two other players, I think, two or three other players. I can't remember at this point. It's been a while. But the thing that I really liked is that at one point, one of the players went to do something like they're like, oh, I want to go and talk to this person off in the corner. And so Ray was able to go off with that character, with that player and do a little side DMing. And Jason was able to keep the rest of us engaged with something else that was going on. And like the player, their character like went off to another location for a little bit and then came back. And we found like, we discovered at the end that like he had made a deal with like a vampire Lord or something to try and betray the party for more power. And that kind of thing, I think like a, if the the two DMS are like on the same level as to like what can happen when that kind of stuff happens, but the possibilities for having like, a political intrigue game where yeah somebody can go off into another room with an npc and it's actually secret from the rest of the party i think it'd be like it might be a little bit of a tricky balance to maintain but i think it would be really cool yeah Ooh, i just thought of another time we role played together uh when ray ran that murder mystery that yes. he also wrote <laughs> which was fantastic it was a steampunk murder mystery and i think we still have i have photos oh then two on. times because there was also the mob one oh, the where mob one? yeah you were my enforcer in it i dyed I my I, hair black and slicked it back i don't remember that one as much i yeah. like actually no i'll be honest i don't remember that one <laughs> it was a long it was a longer time ago that's yeah, like i remember a, a solid decade ago now <laughs> okay i remember the steampunk one because it was the, like everybody's costumes were just so great and everybody did an amazing job of getting into character yeah. Ooh, we've got a question from the chat. Uh, Kevin has asked us, is there a supplement you wish Wizards of the Coast would release for 5e? That's a good question because I, at this point, I'm actually starting to shy away a little bit from the supplements and I'm using more homebrew stuff or stuff that I find online. Like, I've used like this the the stuff that I've got like I've got above me are shelves covered in books and like for example I've got the three core books Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, Morden Cannon's Tome of Foes, the Volos Guide to Monsters, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravanica. And I think between that and like the Tome of Beasts, the Creature Codex, and the Masters and Minions books that I've gotten from Kickstarter. I don't think I need much more for D&D. Like, I'm able to find what I want online on the various subreddits or on... on. Uh, there's a really good uh, homebrew blog that somebody runs on Tumblr that they collect monster art and stat sheets, and it's amazing, and I've used it a bunch. But, like, yeah, at this point, like, supplement-wise... I mean, I also came in during 5th edition, so I don't have any fond memories of like the dark sun setting for example so if if something new comes out it's like i might take a look at it at this point but i'm probably not going to buy it i want to see just like a book of feats and spells and magic items with like nothing else in it. 
Um, and just also honestly more mundane equipment and stuff. One of the one of the problems I always have in long running five e games is that I get to a point where I don't have enough money to buy a magic item like that I actually want. So I end up sitting there accruing thousands of gold, and there's nothing to really spend it on mechanically. So then the DM often kind of on the fly has to homebrew prices for stuff. And it's just, I want more resources that are like, yes, here's just a book of how much like it costs to build a house and how long it takes. And you know, that kind of stuff, Uh, just small fiddly details and more feats. With that, there's actually a, I have the strongholds and followers book from the, uh, that Kickstarter. And I really want to build a campaign around the idea of the players being like exiled and having to go out and find their own stronghold, excuse me, and being able to build it up as they want and becoming like their own city state. Like, I think that would be a really fun campaign. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. Like one of the best resources I found was a PDF. That's it's only like 10 or 12 pages, but it's basically like a condensed store list like it has like hey if you're in a blacksmith like this is the kind of stuff they're probably going to have if you're in an alchemist here's the kind of stuff they're going to have with prices and it has um like low mid-range and high prices so that like if you're in a really fancy city where everything costs more maybe this is what you tell the players the cost is if you're in a hovel and they've only got one kind of healing potion available well maybe it's cheaper and here's a good price for that yeah, and I mean, like, admittedly, uh, with item prices and stuff, I would probably end up home brewing the hell out of them. But like having having something to build upon, especially for like some players, that's like official. Like, this is the book that says what these costs or what these are. It's a lot easier to build on that than for me anyway to build that stuff whole cloth on my own. Yeah, and having something that covers things that people might not normally think about that like you could have a chapter devoted to each class and the kind of things that they might want to buy like hey a thief might want to go and buy you know a disguise and here's what different kinds of clothing like if they want to pass themselves off as a noble here are a bunch of options for that and maybe they need accessories or they need to buy you know rent a servant for the night so they can pass off as even better as having a noble and maybe there's some benefits to having this piece of equipment or having a servant follow you around or something like that exactly um i believe it's your turn to choose a question though Alrighty. um so i think another one from joe stillwell what are some ideas concepts or statements that guests have said on our podcast that have really stuck with us um i think for me, the biggest one was from, I think it was one of our, like, in the first 10 episodes, I think it might have been the West Marchers one, where the idea was that you start small. Like, you, you even if you have a whole bunch of world building done, and you've got, like, you know that there's a, an entire world, there's several countries battling it out, and the players are stuck in the middle of it. You don't start with this fully fleshed out world map. You start off with just, here's the town that they're in, and here's, like, there's a mountain over here, there's a forest here, and there's a lake over here, and maybe there's a goblin cave over here. Like, you don't start off with the entire country or province being mapped out. You start small, 
and build it up as the players explore and and encounter things because that way it leaves you room to add things that you didn't think of when you were first starting out. And I think that was the one thing that it hindered me a little bit with the campaign, the homebrew campaign that I ran was that I, I mapped out this entire country that I think was ended up because of the scale that I chose ended up being bigger than all of Europe and Russia combined. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was big, um, but had I started off with just here's the village that you're in and here's some nearby stuff. There's a village off to the east in this direction. There's another village down south. And here are the orders from your your mercenary guild lieutenant. Go out into the world and explore. Have fun. And building it from there, I think, would have been a little bit better. I mean, at the same time, I've said this before, doing so much world building made me much more confident when it came to doing improv and like coming up with details on the fly because I had already had this base of knowledge to build off of. But I acknowledge that it was too much work that I put in and it led to burnout. Yeah, it's um, I think that was the episode of the Sean Hobbes. He had said something about like, oh, yeah, most of this campaign takes place in a cathedral. And I remember your eyes like lighting up and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you can do that? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's been a couple of guests where they talked about how like yeah their their campaign takes place in just this single location or just a single city or a single province and it's just like I signed myself up for way too much by thinking that this this campaign would cover an entire country. Yeah. Um, as for my answer to that question, um, we talked to Taryn, God, it's like a year and a half ago now about kind of the theater of the mind ended up being a large part of what it was. Um, and that was recording that episode was what basically made me go, you know what? Yeah. I'm just going to do that from now on for the most part. Um, because you know what? I, I don't DM at my own house. Most of the time, I'm usually going to other people's places and like carrying everything around, especially if I'm going after work when work exists, um, is, uh, is a giant pain in the ass. So I just, uh, I just try and do theater of the mind and it just makes my life a lot easier. I think theater of the mind would be a really close second for me because I also realized with, uh, when my players went from, we all, we all used to play just over here at a table. And when two of my players moved to the interior, because that's where the archeology span jobs are um, in BC, at least they, uh, we, we wanted to keep playing, but we had to move to world 20. And had I just decided from the start we're going to do theater of the mind. I'm not going to come up with a battle mat for every single encounter. I would, I probably wouldn't have burnt out three times. I probably would have just burnt out once (laughs) because that was like two of the burnouts happened because I was putting in so much work trying to find maps and assets and resources so that everything looked cool uh, or putting in a bunch of work to create maps for the encounters we were having. And it was it was too much and I, it got to, like my burnout was basically I got to a point where I'd sit down and I wouldn't be able to get anything done. Like I would just drift over to Twitter or YouTube and I just wouldn't be able to get any prep work done because I just didn't want to because I knew how much work it would be and and all of that. And I think the thing with D&D and doing the kind of campaign that I was doing and not doing it theater of the mind is that you put in a bunch of work and then you can't reuse it because I'm creating a map 
for a cave that they're exploring that they're never going to come back to or for a mansion or a castle or a city that they're passing through because I'm going overboard with asset creation and that burnt me out. Yeah. Damien says that he created a whole campaign arc by describing a locket one time. A what? A locket. <laughs> I am extremely curious about that. Um, but speaking of Damien, let's let's jump to one of his questions. What do we got here? Um, sure. If you could pick any one guest to come on the show, who would you interview and what would you focus on? Uh, do you have an answer already? Um, I mean, my, my immediate answer would be Griffin McElroy. I would... Um, and I would do what we usually do with guests where I would ask them what they want to focus on, because honestly, I think it would be potentially a, his answer to something like whatever small little fiddly detail he wants to talk about would probably be a lot more interesting than if I was like, tell me about story progression in the adventure zone. Yeah. And I think like they, he's, they've done a couple of episodes where they've talked about like, how their prep has changed and how Griffin's idea of how the story would run has changed and stuff like that. And I would like Griffin is definitely in my top five. And yeah, I think the thing that we've found so far from running this camp, this campaign, this podcast to give everybody a peek behind the curtain is that the episodes, I think that I think for the last year and a half, two years, we've been extremely proud of almost pretty much every episode that comes out. And the reason is that we, like Jesse said, we ask people what they want to talk about because we found that conversations about a topic are much more fun and engaging when the person is passionate about it. And we started off by like coming up with a list of questions and like a list of topics and being like, Hey, out of this list of topics, what do you want to talk about? And the episodes were good. Like, I don't fault them, but once we started asking guests, like, hey, what do you want to talk about? And just having a free-flowing conversation, I think the quality of the conversation and just how much more fun it is to listen to just jumped. Also, it's less work, which is yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody that I would like to interview, somebody famous, or any one guest, actually... Um, I'd like my top three and they're all tied for first is like Griffin McElroy, Matt Mercer and Matt Colville um, to basically and partially because they're big names in D&D and in role playing, but also just because getting to pick their brains on like what like what is it that they enjoy about the way that they're playing D&D and like how do they find the fun in something that gets critiqued by so many people and, and just being able to pick their brains and talk to them about why they're so passionate about and why they continue to do these things when I know that I would probably give up pretty quickly trying to do what they do. Yeah. Um, so my turn. Uh, I think another one from Damien uh, is how has your gaming changed with the events of today? Yeah, I think we're going to assume that means COVID. Yeah. Um, which is... I'm playing a lot more D and D, so I mean, this is this is going to change pretty soon. But I've been playing uh, weekly on Saturdays in Milo's campaign, um, which has been delightful um, because usually we would play like twice a month 
maybe if we were lucky just because of everyone's schedule and because we had to go out to where Milo lives and all that stuff. Um, so it, it's, it's not as good as playing in person. I think like I really prefer being in a room with people. I have a hard time playing online a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, that has been, it's been nice that we've been able to play so much. Um, and I've also started playing, uh, the game I was mentioning earlier that Anna is running, uh, once a week, which has also been a lot of fun and often a, uh, a nice distraction to the monotony of my <laughs> midweek. Um, I actually aren't, I'm not in any games currently and <sighs> I've kind of got this big roadblock when it comes to trying to start a game right now because it means playing online. And just my previous experience with playing online and being a DM, I know that it either have to be a one-shot or a very short and focused campaign. Like, I might have to look into running a module or something. Um, but, yeah, I haven't been playing at all recently. And I've definitely got the itch. Like, I want to play. It's just trying to figure out a way that I can play that I'm not going to get burnt out and preferably doesn't require much prep because if I'm going to be playing online, if I'm going to, if I'm using roll 20 or virtual tabletop or whatever, I kind of want it to just be, I throw an image up that is kind of descriptive of the scene that we're in and we're really just using it to roll dice. We're not using it to do, you know, grid combat or anything. And that's probably why I would choose a game other than D and D especially ones that lend themselves more to theater of the mind, uh, like fate or something. Okay, uh, Sean, I've got it. I've got it. This is what we're going to do. You're going <laughs> to come here. You're going to stand on my back deck and DM from there. There's a table. It's it's dirty, <laughs> but we can clean it. We're going to get three TV dinner tables and three chairs and put them in the backyard, six feet apart from each other. <laughs> and uh, you're just going so to yell, be- yell down to us. <laughs> DMing from the mountaintop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like it. That would be... I feel like there's a YouTube short in there or something. Um, uh, yeah. So I think there's two questions left. So pick one. <laughs> yeah. Also, we've got like about 20-ish minutes left. So if anybody else wants to ask more questions, we, I think, have time for them. However, oh, yeah. This next question is from Joseph Stilwell. Uh, what would you say are the biggest similarities or differences in both of your DMing styles? And that is a hard question. <laughs> because like we said, we haven't really DM'd together or been in each other's games, so it's hard to tell. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's one big one, I think, right away, which we both know, which is that you do a lot more world building than I do. Yeah, because that is definitely... When I'm thinking about a game, I'm thinking about, yeah, like when I, like the story for this, the campaign that I ran, that homebrew one that ran for like two and a half years, like most of the world just, I spent, I think, three days after work just typing like a madman to get it all out of my head because it was just flowing like crazy. And I ended up with this world and history and backstory and ideas of what could happen next. And yeah, I think world building is definitely where like you give me an idea for something and or just show me a, an image, like a cool fantasy painting that somebody's done and be like, make a campaign based on this. I'll be able to come up with something and have backstory for any element that you point to, which is a little bit of a failing because it's it. I, th- I think it 
tends to lead to burnout because I want to put in more work because of all the backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a perpetual machine for you. You need to develop a thing, and so you think of another thing, and you keep on developing it past where you need to. Uh, yeah. Whereas I, um, on my latest campaign, got my players to build a lot of the world for me um, <laughs> by like sitting them down for our question zero and being like, yeah, this is the town you're in. This is the, like, the basics of the town. This is what it's called. What are some things you think this town has in it? Uh, and going from there. Um, now, I cannot remember all of those things off the top of my head because I didn't come up with them myself. So that's a da- that's a bit of a downside. Uh, but it also meant that the players were a bit more involved about it, uh, about like with building everything and being like, oh yeah, no, we remember that on the pier there's a carnival, or you know that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's a different style thing too, right? Um, yeah. But I I also just cannot concentrate on world building. Like it's just. It's so hard for me to concentrate on it. Yeah. And I think one thing, like a, a good example of how my comprehensive world building can bite me in the ass a little bit is um, when I, I built this world and I gave an explainer document to the players, just being like, hey, here's what the culture of half orcs and their tribes of Viking like marauders are like. And here's what dwarves and their merchant ship empire is like and you know giving them some ideas as to like okay if you're gonna play a dwarf it's not tolkien dwarf it's their you know venetian merchants basically and you know if you're gonna play a uh you know one of these classes or races here's some stuff you might want to take into account and because i had built this world with just this like one set of races when somebody came to me and was like, oh, can I play this? And it's like, I haven't found a spot for those in my world yet. And I, I don't really want to say no to the player because they were really excited about playing this race. Uh, and like when a character, uh, when one of the players was getting uh, disillusioned with playing a ranger, because let's face it, rangers in fifth edition are kind of suck. Um, she wanted to expand her options by becoming an Averial elf, which are basically elves with wings. And I'm like, Okay, I can figure out how to make this work, but trying to fit players' choices and how they want to, like what kind of character they want to play or what kind of backstory they want to have into a world where I've already built so much backstory is hard. And I think I really need to like rein it in the next time I do any campaign planning. Yeah. Ooh, we have a question from Kevin. Uh, what non D and D systems are you both most curious about right now? Yes, you go first. <laughs> I'm going to start pulling books off of my shelf. <laughs> um, I really want to try. I really want to try playing a Powered by the Apocalypse game run by somebody else, so I can kind of get an idea for how it feels first. Um, uh, my main one would probably be like uh, Monster Hunter. Wait, Monster of the Week. Oh my god. Uh, Monster of the Week. I, I would like to try Monster Hearts, but I don't know that I would like to play that like for super long term. Um, there's a whole bunch of other ones too. Like I'm interested in Powered by the Apocalypse in general. Um, oh, I would love for somebody to run me a um, oh my god, Casket Land game as well. Yeah, after that episode that we did about Casket Land, I really wanted to, to run a game of it because it sounds really cool oh well i'll Um, lend you the book when this is all over (laughs) um so i have 
I I have a little bit of a problem. I tend to buy rule books that I see like when I there's a, a store in Brentwood Town Mall, which is a mall somewhat close to where I live. Um, that I go that I I spent way too much on D and D minis there, but also like I go and I'll take a look at the the RPG rule books and if I see one that I like that looks really cool, I might end up buying it. And I've got a wish list on Drive Through RPG that's got like a hundred different systems on it, like a hundred <laughs> different books. Like it's it's ridiculous at this point. And actually, I just re- remembered one more. Uh, it's one of one of these here. So, quick run through. Uh, some of these I've played. I just want to play again. Um, and some of them I have the rule book, but have not yet played. So the first one that I've played and want to play again is Atomic Robo, which uh, this is, uh, I bought the, the PDF on DriveThruRPG and got it printed at Staples, and it works pretty well. Um, and it uses the base fate system, um, so it's not as streamlined as the fate core, I think it's called. Yeah. I can't remember. But um, the, the Atomic Robo setting is just so much fun. And for the kind of games that Fate tends to run that I've seen so far, Atomic Robo is the perfect setting for it because one of the villains is a dinosaur. It's Dr. Dr. Uh, oh, dinosaur. I can't remember his name now. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling stupid. But he's basically this like oversized raptor who thinks that he was sent forward in time to kill all humans and it's fantastic um one that i really want to play haven't had a chance to yet is tales from the loop um which is this like cross between the x-files and stranger things and like hilda almost from netflix like it's this game where you play as kids and one of the cool things is because you're playing as kids you specifically can't die. Like your character can have an injury, like they can break an arm or break a leg, or they can have some like a traumatic experience, but they can't die. Like they can be forced to leave the campaign because they've got to go to a therapist for a while, but you can't kill the characters. And it's really interesting. And I really want to try it out. Um, I backed and finally received the second edition of Eclipse Phase which the first edition, despite the flaws with the character creation, um, it literally took me and three other people an entire five-hour session with spreadsheets and web tools to create characters. Um, oh, no. The character, the character creation is it's a point-by system that went a little off the rails, in my opinion. Um, but second edition is supposed to be a lot better for character creation. Um, but the setting for Eclipse Phase, it's it's transhuman horror after the fall. Like an AI war happened and wiped out like 90% of humanity and the survivors are just trying to survive in a solar system chock full of weird technology that we don't understand because it was created by AIs that are super smart and uh, bootstrap themselves past the singularity when they were deciding to kill us all. Sean, um, I'm going to limit you to one more. One more? Oh, beans. Yeah. We still have another question. Uh, two two more questions after this. Alrighty. Well, then the last one then is Coriolis, the third horizon. It's a space game that's basically uh, 
it's Arabian Nights in Space is what the description is. And oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and from flipping through it and looking at the rules, like it's a rules light ish system, but it seems like it would be really fun, and I really want to try running a game sometime. But yeah, I've got like plenty more books and things, like so many more things that I want to run and try out, and I think like that might be the impetus for me just starting to do a like once a month one shot thing. Is just like I pick a system. And I run a one shot and we stream that here on Twitch. That would be great. Um, all right. So Tori in the chat has a question for us. Uh, what class or fantasy world stereotypes do you like to play with and change in your D&D games? Uh, I think the first for me is the idea that any like there's been a bunch of dis- discussion about this recently. And I definitely fall on the side of no race is inherently evil. Um, aside from like maybe like literal demons from hell but outside of that like no like you could find a tribe of orcs that are just doing their own thing hunting and gathering and being peaceful like they're out there you could find a, a city of dwarves that are real bad and don't like people and yeah there's all sorts of ways to fool around and play with like for example like from my homebrew campaign like dwarfs aren't people who live under mountains they used to be and then they got tired of it and created the age of sail in my world and became like the merchantmen of the merchantmen of the sea like if you want to get a ship somewhere it's probably going to be a dwarvish ship and elves are master stoneworkers and they travel the plains of the continents on these giant stone carts like there's all kinds of ways that you can play around and have fun with the fantasy tropes by even just like taking something that's normally associated with one race and giving it to another can be really fun uh yeah so one of mine i'm gonna gonna because i agree with most of what you've just said uh i'm gonna go with a more specific example um i play velocity in milo's game who is technically a shadow monk but is in actuality a shadow demon tiefling (laughs) Whereas most of my monk abilities are from my demonic heritage. Um, and because it's it's really easy to take like a player class and reflavor it as whatever. Um, I know years ago, Ray gave me an example of like, well, we don't have stats for were- a werewolf character in this was in fourth edition. So what I did is I just took a rogue, you know, assumed they were using daggers, gave the clause of those stats and then built the rules based on that so you can you know you can often take a class and look at it um and be like okay this is what this class has how can i just reflavor it without changing any of the mechanics and it's it's really easy to do yeah and that's something that like reflavoring is something that has come up in a couple of the episodes we've done like the one we did with uh with Jonathan or I, the one we talked about specifically reskinning monsters and building new ones and homebrewing homebrewing monsters to use in your campaigns and the biggest piece of advice was just take a monster and give it a different paint job like you don't have to put in a lot of work and it's the same thing when it comes to the classes and fantasy stereotypes like you can have a lot of fun by just putting a different paint job on something and saying like yeah all of the dwarves in this world are x now and we're gonna see how that goes yeah all right what do you think, Sean? Time for the, the last question, I guess? 
Uh, let me just check something real quick. Yes, time for the last question, I think. Unless anybody wants to chime in right now with a question for us to answer. Uh, and I think, no, I think after this final question, we'll probably just wrap up, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we're approaching okay. an hour, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah if anybody has any questions please throw them in chat and if not uh, in the next like minute or so we'll take damien's question yeah um yeah scruff mcguffin has a question planning my session while watching this what do i name this halfling cleric npc he's old as heck methuselah Uh, that's a little too on the nose for me, so I'm just going to pull out. This This is my book for my homebrew campaign, um, and I literally have a... It's organized with tabs because I'm that nerd, um, and I because I am horrible at coming up with names, I created a spreadsheet that I then printed out, and I'm going to show you one of the sheets here. And it includes stuff like weapon and tome and book names. But the idea is that it has like dwarf clan names and gnome clan names and all this kind of stuff. And so that like I can just go through and be like, okay, it's a male character. So here's a bunch of first names and there are gnome. And so here's a bunch of clan names. And I just pick two, put them together, write them down, and then cross them off from this list because it is way easier for me to put in this work ahead of time than to try and figure something out on the spot like yeah i've got names for festivals and shit in here i put way too much work into this um but you said halfling so um let's see really old um high falls for the last name oh that's a good last name that's what i'm going with high falls h-i-f-a-l-l-s all right yeah, I spend a bunch of time just like using some generators and transferring it all to a spreadsheet so that I would have that as a resource. And it came in super handy <laughs> because it yeah. meant that I didn't have to go like, uh, 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 it's Jim, the halfling, <laughs> the third. All right. A um, couple other quick questions. Uh, a real quick one from Tori. Favorite color, orange or purple for me? Uh, Blue, like a deep sky blue like darkish like kind of that ish like a stormy blue almost yeah like royal not navy but like royal blue all right um and anna asks us what the most experimental game we've ever taken part in or run is oh that's a good question i have i have a quick answer while you think um i so uh, I am occasionally and often part of DMTK Chef's Night, and for the last few episodes that have been coming out, me and Kayla have been doing a one-on-one uh, kind of mini story within the story thing, and we are using a system called Murderous Ghosts, um, which I had read about five minutes before running it. <laughs> um, it's a pretty straightforward system, but it's more experimental for me because like, I've never run a one-on-one game before. Um, and it's also a system I don't know very well and haven't read all the way through. So I am constantly surprised by the pages I've turned to. Um, we've only had one session of that. And I think we we have one more for a couple of hours, and then that'll end up being the last bits of several more episodes. But that's, I think, the answer for me. Uh, for me, 
I haven't really been a part of many experimental games that I've run or taken part of. I think the closest for me that counts is a game that I've come across that I would like to run at some point, but I'm just, I may have fee on it a little bit, but it's a one page RPG called Illuminati where you, the only dice is the power die, the D four because pyramids. Um, and yeah, it's basically like taking all of those Illuminati and new world order and tropes and silliness and cranking it up to 11 and just having a really silly time. Um, but the the game seems interesting, but there are some issues with the whole New World Order stuff that I don't want to go into right now because it's just a whole thing, and I don't want to right now. All right. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's any other questions. Yeah, I think this is a cutoff for the chat questions. We've only got Damien's question now. Yes. So... Uh, our traditional final question that Damien has given to us is if we could go back in time before the podcast, what's one tip that we'd give ourselves that we've learned since starting? All right. So I'm assuming this is about uh, running games. Um, I think the, the one that we get of variants of a lot of our like stop worrying so much or, Hey, maybe before you burn out, you should, uh, take a, look, a serious look at what you're doing and be like, maybe I'll just stop for a little while. And uh, Damien has clarified it could be about the podcast as well. Uh, well, in which case it would be what we, we kind of talked about earlier where it's like, yeah, let's just ask the guests what they want to talk about instead of being like, here's a list. Yeah. Because um, that was way too much work. I think for me, the tip that I would give myself is... Uh, the snapping or clapping so that I can get sound marks of when I actually need to go in and remove or edit audio and uh, that and truncate silence and that it's fine for this style of podcast if there are ums and ahs because it is a conversational podcast and it makes it sound more like we're having a conversation and not like a produced radio report thing. It is embarrassing how long it took for us to figure out to do clicks or claps yeah yeah <laughs> that was like four months ago <laughs> yeah but like between that and truncate silence and leave like being okay with ums and ahs my editing time went from for a one hour episode went from two hours to 20 minutes yeah i gotta figure out how to use truncate silence properly for the the next revolver i'm going i'm working on um so sean before we sign off is there anything you want to talk about or promote while people are here uh well because we're on twitch i'm going to pump our weekly crazy strange bone time cave goblin party <laughs> night, bone time. Uh, which Every week we slide into stranger and stranger territory, and I don't know if I'm loving it or terrified or both. It's both. Um, but we do that every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We play Jackbox party games where anybody in the audience can join in, and it's it's been a lot of fun, and it's been something I've been really looking forward to every week, especially during these times. I have been having fun even just screen capping it late, right, lately, which is not a thing I thought I would say when I had to start doing that. Um, 
So I have two things. One is on Mondays on this stream, uh, Xanthia hosts along with uh, Talia and our friend Eric. Everyone is Jonas, which is a competitive role-playing game. It's a lot of fun. Um, I don't know how Xanthia keeps keeps track of all of the NPCs that she has, but she does. Um, so you should check that out. That's on Mondays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, I have another thing, which is I am in some way, but not entirely positive how, uh, working with Vancouver's Role for Relief, which is a uh, basically a group of local DMs who are going to be streaming for charity to uh, support the downtown Eastside response uh, with a goal of raising about $5,000 for COVID-19 relief in Vancouver, Vancouver's downtown Eastside. Um, and that will be on May 23rd and running between noon and midnight. Um, I will probably maybe be DMing for it, but we'll see. If they have many DMs, I might see about just doing helping them with like social media and other stuff. Alrighty. Cool. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a guest to thank, so... So thank all of you for tuning in and asking yeah. us questions. And uh, let us know if you'd like to see more of this, because if people are interested in seeing this more often, then I think we will try to uh, see if our guests, more guests would be okay with doing this, and maybe we turn it into a more regular thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, if we can get more people to like come in and ask questions, I'd be comfortable like every month or two just doing some q a stuff too yeah uh and i mean at this point we've we've heard from enough guests that we could probably also just if you've got questions about stuff to do in your own campaign we could have a stream about like hey i've run into a problem with my campaign i don't know how this story ends oh i would love to do that honestly that sounds great hey folks sean here the stream ended kind of abruptly, or at least my audio recording of it did. So this is just me doing some quick wrap-up. Thank you so much for tuning in, if you did, or otherwise, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions that you would like us to answer in a future Q&A stream, or even just, uh, we might just do a podcast episode, maybe not a stream. We're still figuring the streaming part out. But if you have a question please do send it in. We would love to uh, do more of these kinds of episodes. So you can send it in to DMs of Vancouver on Twitter, or you can reach out by email, dmsofvancouver at gmail.com. And again, thank you so much for listening. Doing this was so much fun. And me and Jesse really look forward to getting more questions from you folks in the future. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you for listening to DMs of Vancouver. We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at Acompetech.com. 
Everyone is Jonas is a live-streamed competitive role-playing podcast hosted by me, Doug Vandalay. Me, Eric Ivanovich. And me, Talia Murdoch. On twitch.tv forward slash cavegoblins every Monday at 7.30 p.m. PST. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.